Thank you for your donation to Corbono, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the study of Scripture according to the mind of the Catholic Church. If you like this talk, we invite you to share our website, www.corbono.com, with others so that together we may participate in the evangelization of the third millennium. Our speaker, Najim Awad, lives in San Diego, California with his wife and seven children and has been studying and teaching scripture since 1995. Najib believes the Catholic Church holds and teaches the fullness of truth, and with his tremendous zeal and insight, he is able to communicate that raw truth without sugarcoating the teachings of the Catholic Church. He also believes that our job is not to change the truth, but to communicate it clearly and directly to others. And now, here's Najib. What I want to talk to you about tonight is a subject that will cause you to do one of two things. You might decide not to come again. I've seen it. Or it will be, or you could just ignore it and continue doing what you're doing right now, or it could be life-changing. It's your choice. One thing I said about the covenant, which is key, is that once the term of the covenant, the covenant are given, let's review those. We're not, you know, it, I think we do well always to review the, what a covenant is, right? It's, it's an agreement. It's more than an agreement. You can say it's a compact. That's an old word used to indicate what a covenant. But it's, it's a sort of an agreement between two parties. And it has a number of parts to it. Number one, it identifies the parties. Number two, it gives a historical prologue where the deeds establishing the worthiness of the dominant party is established. So it basically says what the dominant party has done, not the, do, not the other party, not the dominated party, the dominant, the one who is, the, the one who is in, in power. Then the conditions of the agreement are spelled out. It's followed by rewards and punishments in regard to keeping this, these conditions. And then there's a disposition of the document where each party receives a copy. And you will see that every one of those covenants follow this structure. Last, next week, we will spend quite a bit of time on Deuteronomy, and I'll show you how Deuteronomy is structured exactly like that. And this is something that very, many, many scholars have seen in, throughout, um, uh, you know, many scholars, whether Catholic or, or Protestant, have seen that structure of Deuteronomy. What I want to talk to you tonight is the notion that God blesses and that God curses. That the fact that God blesses bless us is easily acceptable. We have no problem with that. In fact, it's not as simple as we might think. But let's leave that aside for a second. But the fact that God can curse has been a stumbling block for quite a few Catholics. How many of you in your Catholic education have ever been told that God can curse you? Anyone? So it is no wonder that you are listening to me like I'm talking Chinese or I'm coming from another planet 
or I'm talking to you about a different God. What is he talking about? God curses. Before I get further into this, I would like to explain to you why I think we have a problem with this. With this business of God cursing. Remember what I said last week or the week before that typically when we read a passage in scripture that shocks us or we don't understand or we have difficulty accepting, what is our knee-jerk reaction? What do we say? Oh, well there must be something wrong with God. Or there must be something wrong with the translation. Or that applied to these people back there or back then. Those of us from from the Middle East can't even say that, because we are from back there. We're kind of stuck there. And nor can we say back then, because we haven't changed much in our habits, have we? So we're doubly stuck. But yet we will still try and say that. We will basically blame Scripture, or the Church, or God, or the people back there, or back then, all of them together, instead of saying... Uh oh, there is something wrong with me. That is the appropriate reaction. That's the humble reaction. When I find a difficulty in Scripture, I ought to say to myself, that's God's way of showing me there's something wrong with me. And when I say there's something wrong with me, I don't mean I'm nuts or I am sick. I mean that morally, the way I conduct myself, the way I am living, something is wrong there. Because as St. Thomas Aquinas teaches us, in order for us to really acquire the virtues and really understand Scripture, we have to have an upright life. Because we read Scripture through our life, through the lens of our lives. You see, it's one thing for me, as I mentioned to you multiple times, to talk about the faith, the Trinity, and all those, and all those lofty theological principles. It's, an, it's a very different thing when those principles now start to put pressure on the way you live. And there, there's, there's the rub. It's the way we live that oftentimes causes us to refuse certain principles in Scripture. Keep that in mind as we go through this. What I would like to do tonight is give you a panorama of this business of cursing from Scripture. The first thing I would like to do is talk about cursing in general. First of all, in current modern language, cursing has been confounded or confused or flattened to mean the same thing as swearing. Because of our inability or because of the fact that we do not live covenantally anymore, we don't live a covenantal life, we never think of the covenant and its implication in our lives, we, therefore, flattened cursing, took away power, the power of cursing, and made it the same thing as swearing. They're not. When I speak of cursing, I am not talking about swearing. Swearing is never a good thing. It can never be a good thing. If we swear and we use the name of God, that is a mortal sin. All right? Let me put you in very, very graphic terms. If somebody, if a Catholic, who knows that you, can, you, should, you will never use the name of God in vain, were to, knowing that, realizing he, he's been taught that, uses the name of Jesus in vain, 
and dies three seconds later, that's a straight one-way ticket to hell. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's what it means. It's that serious. So swearing can never be, never be a good thing. The, the sin of swearing is proportionate to that which, was, which we are using. It is proportionate to the words we're using and the object of the swear. So if I say, for instance, if I'm trying to open a box, somebody sent me a box, I'm trying to open it, and I couldn't, and I say, you know, broccoli, and I pound the box, and I use the word broccoli as a swear, I essentially probably committed a venial sin, sin of anger and impatience. Why? Because the box is mine, I am not causing harm to anyone else, and what I've used, the word broccoli, has does not uh, injure the honor of anyone. If, on the other hand, I'm, I'm upset with that box and I use the name of the Lord, I've committed a mortal sin. If I swear, if I use the name of my parents as an insult, I've committed a mortal sin. You honor your father and mother, your father and mother. You understand? But if I said Shazam, we're back to that category where no one is injured. Do you understand how this works? Okay. So that's not what I'm talking to you about tonight. God doesn't swear, not in that sense. In moral theology, to curse is to call down evil upon God or creatures, rational or irrational, living or dead. St. Thomas treats it under the term malediction, malediction. So in this case, curse is closer to malediction than it is to swearing. All right? So it is to call upon evil. Now, as you know, there are many different kinds of evil. There are physical evil and there is spiritual evil. God does permit and even wills physical evil. How do we know that? How do we know that God wills physical evil? Not just permits, but wills it. Anyone can give me an example of a physical evil that God wills? War? Death. Somebody said death? Yeah, death. Death is a physical evil. It destroys the body. And we all know that God wills death. For we don't know the hour. He does, and it's in his hand. Right? So you can see that he wills physical evil. By the way, who brought death on us? God. Yeah, yeah, but God. See, that's very important, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. We cannot ascribe to ourselves the power to change our destiny. We don't have that power. Just as today, I can't make myself immortal, Adam on his own could not make himself mortal. He doesn't have that power. We never had the power. In both instances, neither do we have the power to change our lives to the better, nor do we have the power to change our lives to the worse. Because we're creatures, we're not creator. Okay? So ultimately... God is the one who pronounced that curse and it became effective through his will. Now, I just want you to keep this idea in your mind. I'm not saying accept it right now. Just bear with me. I know it's a difficult one. As we go through the different passages, hopefully we'll clarify, you'll understand why God does what he does. Right now, hang on to this very simple principle. God is all good. God is all holy. God wills 
the salvation of all men. Okay? So even when God is pronouncing curses, it folds, it fits within his general will for all men to be saved. Do you understand that? So God is not Dr. Heckel and Mr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? Be it as it may. He's not, he's not schizophrenic. All right, now I, I really want you to be saved. No, be damned, be damned, go to hell. God doesn't work this way, all right? Our conception of God may switch back and forth because we may switch back and forth. But God doesn't. So even this principle of cursing fits within his general plan for our salvation. So, St. Thomas speaks of it therefore as maledictio and says that imprecation may be made either efficaciously and by way of command as when made by God. So an imprecation, in other words, a pronouncement of a curse can be made efficaciously. So what is said happens and by command as when it's made by God or it can be made without any effect. All right? So cursing, so from the fact that we find many instances of curses made by God and his representatives, the church and the prophets, so even the church, and when, where does the church curses? Do you know? Do you know the church curses? Did you know that? Anathema. Let him be made anathema. How many of you know that word, anathema? That is the word that is consistently used in the councils of the church, in all the declaration from councils. And the council, the resolution of a council are infallible. That means they are absolutely true and must be accepted by Catholics. That's our duty. So when a council says, he who does this or does not do that, let him be made anathema, that means he has been now effectively put outside of the community. Now, in, in an individualistic society like ours, being outside of the community these days seems to be what we want to be. We want to be unique, different, special. You just have to look at all the ads, right? My bank, my this, my that. It's all about me. And we think that's great. But covenantally, the covenant being bringing God and us into one family, being put outside of that family is effectively a curse. Okay? So, God, the church, and the prophets, it is seen that the act of cursing is not necessarily sinful in itself. All right. Keep that in mind as we walk through those, those passages that I want to walk through tonight. My goal right now is to do only one thing is to help you see that these curses pronounced by God are in many different places in Scripture, if I can get back to my notes, and try to understand why by looking at Wisdom chapter 12. Now, the word curse appears 207 times in Scripture. 207 times in Scripture, 20 of which in the New Testament. There is a companion word that you, Jesus uses, and it's woe, when he pronounces his woe against the Pharisees. And actually, if you were to turn to Matthew chapter 21, this will help us set certain things in context. 
23. There are, in, in chapter 23, we find the seven woes pronounced by Jesus against the Pharisees. Again, the number seven. What is the seven? What does it represent? The covenant, right? So it's a seven woes, which means it's a covenantal woe, which means it's a covenantal lawsuit he's bringing against them. And you will see those seven curses that Jesus pronounced against them. And if you remember our four senses of Scripture, if you apply the moral sense, you can see that this is not just about the Pharisees, it is about anybody who fits in their shoes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. For you neither enter yourselves. What does that mean? Where are they going? Hell. Nor allow anyone else to enter in. So there are a scandal on. There are a scandal. They don't allow others to enter in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you traverse sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he, beca he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, you blind fools. And then he says, you blind men, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You blind Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. Who's been called a serpent? Satan. What is the brood of a viper? So who are who 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 is he calling them then? Children of who? Gentle, meek, humble Jesus. Okay? This is not Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You understand? We can't ignore those words. We can't just content ourselves with a gentle, meek, humble, loving Jesus. Reducing him to a little God that scratches where we itch. We're deluding ourselves. We have to face it squarely and understanding. And the key to unlock all this is the covenant. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? You Buddha vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell. You notice, being sentenced to hell. Who's going to do the sentencing? Who in particular? Jesus Christ. You understand? We, by our actions, merit hell. You understand? We merit hell. But by our actions, we can't go to hell. We do not have that power. Nor do we have the power to go to heaven. In both cases, who do we need? We need Jesus. We need Jesus to send us to hell. We need Jesus to get us to heaven. In both instances. For he is the King of kings, Lord of lords, and he is the final judge. And it is by his power and authority that we go to one place or the other. Do you understand?
don't reduce the power of God because you're uncomfortable with Him judging anybody. It doesn't work this way. I read this passage in particular because there's this tendency to think, oh, well, you know, God in the Old Testament was really, really, really an angry old man. But then Jesus came along, and then he was, you know, such a sweetheart. Walked along and then gave us the Beatitudes. Gave us the Beatitudes, for goodness sake. If you read the Beatitudes, you must be thinking, we're blessing like those when he curses. Blessed are you if they persecute you and they, you know, they beat you. And uh, all of my name, rejoice and be glad. Think about those blessings that he gave. They, 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 to, the, to the Jewish mind, they look like curses. Blessed are you if you're poor, if you're hungry. As I said, we think that blessings are obvious, but they're really not. Just as curses. Because we have them often backward. Alright. In Genesis 3.17, if you go to Genesis 3.17, you will see that in that specific instance, God says, because you have done this, cursed be the ground. Because you have done this, cursed be the ground. Up to this point, let's understand this very clearly, because there is this tendency to think, oh, Adam sinned, therefore, by his own power of sinning, he caused all this stuff to happen. But we don't have that power. We really don't. It's the covenant that carries the power. And the one who has certified it and signed it by his own power executes those blessings and curses ascribed to the covenant. He's the one who put the terms of the covenant and he's the one who will make it happen. We can't. We're the weak party in the deal. You with me? So God curses the ground. Now let's think about it for a second. God created everything. And he created this whole universe and the ground. And he said, it is very good. Right? So here comes Adam along, and then he commits that original sin. What's the ground to do with it? Why go and punish the ground? I mean, was it like God was holding a wooden spoon, and he was so mad with Adam that he was going to really beat him, and he decided to hit the ground instead? Is that what was going on through God when, when he did that? Why did he curse the ground? It was, it was given us as a blessing. Very good. So, what was God doing? I gave it to you. Huh, I'm going to take it back. Is that what he said? Erasement? Raise, yes. He raised man from the ground. Remember, all this stuff. Look, faith is very practical. Very, very practical. So, the answer we have to come up with must be very practical. Very practical. Think as a father would. Think as a father would. And then you have the key. You have the answer. Why? Because in fatherhood, in motherhood, in the family, you have inscribed in flesh and blood the covenant and how it works. If you understand how it works there, you'll understand how it works here. That's why Scripture is a business family or a family business. So, dad knocks on his son's door and opens the door and sees that the son has... Uh, spent $500 and bought Lego. And he's building this huge contraption in his room. The son is 18 years old. And he is not attending to school. What will the dad do? Take the, okay, take the Lego away. Why? Because dad is cruel? Is it because dad is cruel? 
that he's taking the Lego away? That he just wants to get his son, he wants to transfer his frustration on his son. You made me so mad, I'm going to make you, you are going to feel how I feel. Is that what he's doing? Why is he taking the Lego away? To make him go back to school. But what, what, yeah, absolutely right. But what else? There's something underneath him to do right. What is the dad sing, s sensing? Destruction is too weak. You're on the right path. It's strong. Put it in theological term. It is idolatry. Anytime we stop living a moral virtuous life and do what we have to do, do our duty, do what we must, and we give ourselves to some distraction, as we call them, we've committed idolatry. We are essentially worshipping at, at the altar of a God that will give us pleasure. Most of the time, that God is none, us, none, none other than ourselves. We want our own satisfaction. So, a loving God will do what? Will recognize the folly, the folly of his son's action, and he will try to recreate an environment that will allow his son to move away from that folly and back on the right track, right? So, he takes away the source of the pleasure. I'm sorry? Oh, very good question. Let's say he left the Lego with the son. Keep, hold on to this and remind me of it a little bit later because this is much bigger than what it seems. The point then is that he takes the Lego away because it was the source of the pleasure that caused the son to fall. And because he loves his son and he wants the best for him, he will take it away and help him grow in virtue. What was Adam and Eve's folly? What caused them to sin? The good of these earth, of the earth. The tree that grew from the ground of knowledge of good and evil. That is the main cause, the main concrete, visible cause of their sin. Granted, the root is in their pride and in their willingness to essentially put themselves on that, on that altar and adore themselves instead of adoring God. But physically, the cause is that tree. And so, God, as a good and loving Father, curses the ground so that it will never ever produce something so powerful that it will be cause for us to sin. Do you understand? Do you understand why he curses the ground? Do you understand now why, in a specific case, a curse is a loving act? And it is not at all what we would think of it as a curse. Unless, of course, we want to tell God, all right, God, I'll come to the church. I'll go every Sunday. But you know what? When it comes to my moral life, stay out. You have nothing to tell me. I'll live my life the way I want. I'll do what I want when I want it. If that's our moral outlook, we're not going to accept this. We cannot accept this. Because here we're saying to God, you have authority over my moral life, over how I behave in society, over what I will do and not do, over what is acceptable and not acceptable. You're the ultimate authority. And, oh, by the way, 
my moral actions, because of the covenant that I've entered in by being baptized, my moral actions have a consequence. I will either be blessed by you, or I'll be cursed by you. Now, I've put myself, I've put myself inside a box, so to speak. And the one who holds the key is God. Right? And either I accept to live this way, or I don't. And it's that approach to life that will make me accept these teachings or not. In Genesis 5.29, Lamech, the father of Noah, says about Noah who was born, out of the very ground that the Lord has put under a curse. Right? So you see there, Lamech's view, so Lamech, of course, lived before the flood. And his view is God put the ground under a curse. Right? This one shall bring us relief from our work and the toll of our hands. Now, in Genesis 9, Genesis 9, 24-27, Noah wakes up after being drunk, because that was the first time he drank wine, he didn't know how it tasted, and he got drunk. And he realized that his son, his youngest son, Ham, has attempted to usurp the power to himself. So the expression in the Bible when you see that he saw the nakedness of his father, does not mean that he saw his father naked. It rather means that he decided to essentially um, take on the authority of the king by controlling the woman. Because in ancient times, the way you assert yourself as the, as the new king is when you basically take on the, the wives of the old king. So that's what seeing the nakedness of his mother meant. When, now, who was, who, who was the heir to Noah? Noah was the king of the earth. He had the whole world for himself. Right? Who was his legitimate heir? His oldest son, Shem. So Ham, being the youngest, wanting the power for himself, forced the issue. He said, I'm going to be the king. When Noah realized this, what did he do? He said, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. And also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, that Canaan be his slave. Why? Okay, who did he curse? He didn't curse Ham, who committed the act. He cursed Canaan, his son. He cursed his grandson. His grandson had, not, had done nothing. Yet he's the one who receives the curse. You understand? Why? Because what did Ham want? He wanted kingship. He wanted to be the king of the whole world. What, where did the curse hit? Precisely where, where he was committing an idolatry. All right? He wanted to be a king. His lineage, his dynasty was cursed. Do you understand? His dynasty was cursed, starting with his son. So this teaches us two things. Number one, so Noah is speaking here, and this curse is not just coming from him. 
But this is an effective and it's an efficient curse. Understand one thing. That power that Noah had on his own family, each father and mother has. And grandparents. You curse your children, you have great power over that cursing and you have great power over that blessing. Much more than when you try to do it with a foreigner. Uh, Father, I may have said this, I don't remember, but Father Amorth, who was, who was a, he's a, Gabriel Amorth is an Italian exorcist. He was an exorcist in Rome for, for a very long time, and he saw 30,000 cases, not all of whom were, were possession, actually a very small number, 97 were true possession. Most of them were obsession or, or um, 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 no, 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 obsession or uh, oppression. And there's this man who came to him and told him that he showed him his legs. This man was 30 years old, and since he was 12 till now, he had had many operations on his legs, many operations, and nothing would do. And he told him a story. He said that his father, um, when, when his father was growing, his mother, meaning the grandmother of the boy, wanted his dad to become a priest. His dad found out that he didn't have a vocation and, and went ahead and got married. His mother then cut all relationship with him. And when he had a boy, meaning this man, he sent her a picture of that boy, hoping that this will thaw things out and then he will reestablish relationship. And his mother wrote back a letter saying, may the legs of this child be cursed. And if you ever come back to your village, you will die in the bed in which you were born. And that's exactly what happened to him. He went back to his village, got ill, they brought him to his house, put him in the bed in which he was born, and he died there. And that kid had these ailments all his life. That is why St. Paul, by the way, says, bless and do not curse. He didn't mean bless and do not swear. He was writing covenantally. Alright? So be very careful what you say to your kids. In Genesis 12, 1-3, the Lord is speaking to Abraham, who would become Abraham. And he says, Go forth from the land of your king's folk, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. We're happy with that. Right? I will bless you. I will make your name great, so great, so that you will be a blessing. So the blessing of God on Abraham will become a blessing to others. Okay? We're happy with that. What we don't understand is that there is a counterpart to it. A curse that is given to someone from, from God becomes a curse to others. It works in the same way. Alright? The same way. I will, bless, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Who curse you. That's God speaking. Right? Can't be more explicit than that. I will bless and I will curse. And again, if you understand the covenant and how it works, and we're comfortable living the covenant, and think through our actions in regard to the covenant, we have no problem. But when we don't, we get very concerned. Because we thought, oh, well, God only blesses us. No matter what we do, we, He'll bless us. Or worst case, He may not bless us. But there's this neutral zone where we're going to be fine. And we fall into this fallacy, this notion that, well, I'm a good person. 
You know, I don't steal, I don't cheat, I don't, I, can, I didn't kill anybody. I'm a good person, I'm just going to go to heaven. It's like heaven, it's easier to go to heaven than to go to Harvard. It's amazing. I mean, if you really ask people psychologically, I am sure 90% of them will tell you it's easier to go to heaven than to go to Harvard. Why? Because we don't take heaven seriously. But we take Harvard seriously. Okay. Genesis 27, 12 through 13. Rebecca is telling Jacob, you, you know the story. Rebecca is telling Jacob, okay, you're going to pretend to be your brother and you can go and get what? Your father's blessing. That's the special blessing on the firstborn who gets the double portion. Again, the covenant. You understand? What does Jacob says? He says, suppose my father feels me. He will think I am making sport of him and I shall bring on myself a curse instead of a blessing. Because he's not as hairy as Esau and his father will know this is not my, my oldest and this is my youngest coming here trying to steal the blessing from me. He'll get a curse. You see how he's taking it seriously? Now notice what Rebecca answers. And that's another important aspect of the curse. His mother, however, replied, Let any curse against you, son, fall on me. She's taking upon herself any curse that can come upon him. Okay? Do you know of someone else who did that? Yeah. That's what he did. That's exactly what he did. You understand without the covenant this cross makes no sense? Makes no sense. Genesis 49. Jacob is old and he brought all his sons to give them, their final, to give them his final blessing. He's going to bless them. This is his final blessing. He's talking about Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi, brothers indeed, weapons of violence are their knives. Let not my soul enter their counsel, or my spirit be joined with their company, for in their fury they slew men, in their willfulness they maintained oxen. Cursed be their fury so fierce, and their rage so cruel, I will scatter them in Jacob, disperse them through Israel. Instead of a blessing, what do they get? A curse. Now, think about it for a second. Levi... Remember Levi and Simeon, they're the ones who, when their daughter got into, there was some physical violence done to her by folks from a village. Um, they, were try, they, they, they went there and said, well, we want to enter in a covenant with you, and in order to do that, you must be circumcised. And the men of the village accepted, and on the third day of the circumcision, which is the most painful, Simon and, Simon and Levi went in and killed all the men. That's what he's referring to. So the blessing is what? It's a curse. Now think about it. Levi, if you fast forward into Exodus, the Levites are the ones who remained faithful. And what did, what did they become? They became priests. And they were scattered in Israel as priests. You see how that curse was medicinal? It took Levi away from its hold on power and turned them into priests. You need to think always in terms of the covenant and the fact that God is good. Now, in Psalm 16, verse 1 through 3, Keep me safe, O God, in you I take refuge. 
I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, you are my only good. Worthless are all the false gods of the land. Accursed are all who delight in them. Accursed are all who delight in them. Worthless are all the false gods of the land. Accursed are all those who delight in them. Notice in this specific case, David is not cursing them. He's simply stating a fact. They are accursed. Why? Because anyone who falls in idolatry falls under the curse of the covenant, and he's then excluded from the covenant, and he's by default accursed. So if you think about it today, when we go to witches, when we do witchcraft, when we go to someone who's going to do palm reading, or when we read the, the little uh, coffee cup, all right, you, you turn the coffee and you're reading it to see what future has. Even if you think you're doing it for fun, think about why you're doing it. It isn't for fun. It's never for fun. It is by curiosity. Because you really do want to know. Guess what you're doing to yourself. Guess what you're doing to your family. The covenant doesn't just apply to you individually. It applies to your entire family. It carries over. Do you understand? This is why I tell you this teaching is hard because it forces us to rectify our lives, to clean it up. We have to clean up our acts. Or else. Because God only accepts holiness. Nothing less. Psalm 37, verse 21-22. The wicked borrow but do not repay. The just are generous in giving. For those blessed be the Lord... For those blessed by the Lord will possess the land, but those accursed will be cut off. Again, an indication in this specific instance that God will bless and God will curse. Psalm 119. At all times my soul is stirred with longing for your edicts. With a curse you rebuke the proud who stray from your commands. With a curse you rebuke the proud who stray from your commands. Proverb 3. Verse 33, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but the dwelling of the just he blesses. Proverbs 26, verse 2, like the sparrow in its fitting, like the, shall, like the swallow in its flight, the curse uncalled for arrives nowhere. What this is telling you is that most of the time, when people attempt to curse others, and today, don't make fun of hexes, Curses, the real, they carry power. But most of the time they have no effect because God does not allow them to go through. So it's very different from what happens in the family where you have royal authority over your children. This is what it means to be priest, prophet, and king. Okay? When someone on the outside tries to, send, to, to curse you, most of the time God doesn't allow it to go through. And that's what this proverb is referring to. Proverb, <clears throat> Proverb 28, verse 27. He who gives to the poor suffers no want, but he who ignores them gets many a curse. So, I just gave you a selection to show you how the people of God understood the covenant and understood the blessings and the curses. I just focus on the curses. There are many verses that deal with blessing, don't get me wrong. Right? But the blessing, I know we have no, no problem with. We should, actually, but we don't. And the curses are the one we have a problem with because we don't understand the covenant and we don't conceive of the covenant as operating in our life and regulating our life. 
but it, it does. What it means to you and me, therefore, is that moving forward, we have to understand that when we were baptized and entered into the church, we were made part of the covenant of God that carries forth blessings and curses. And it is our duty to understand them and to regulate our life so that we live according to them. And it will change your life. I'm not trying to tell you this simply to scare you. I'm trying to tell you that this covenant is the way that God has put forth to bring life to us. And happiness and joy and peace and tranquility. He who lives by the covenant is indeed blessed. Let's go to wisdom. Oh, yeah, and a couple more I think are important. Sirach, the book of Sirach, verse 3. Um, the book of Sirach, chapter 3, verse 9. The book of Sirach, chapter 3, verse 9. For a father's blessing gives a family firm roots, but a mother's curse uproots the growing plant. Father's blessing gives the family firm roots, so it roots the family. But the mother's curse uproots the whole thing. That's how powerful the mother's curse is. Yes. You see, the interesting, so the question is, out of anger sometimes you say something that you don't mean. Does it apply? It's a very interesting question because really what you're asking is the following. Is the curse applied psychologically or ontologically? Meaning, does the curse apply when I really mean it? Or does the curse apply when I pronounce it and based on my own powers? That's a good question. I don't have an answer to this. But I can tell you this. Don't try. Don't try it at home. Especially at home. Okay? If it slipped, take it back. But if you say it and you leave it there, you're basically saying, if nothing else, I am not mindful of the covenant. I don't think my words have that kind of power. I really don't understand what motherhood and fatherhood are all about in the eyes of God. Don't say it. Sirach 3.16, a blasphemer, so someone who's blaspheming, someone who's swearing, guess what he is in the eyes of God? A blasphemer is he who despises his father. Interesting, isn't it? And when you're swearing, you're actually despising your dad. Why? Why would you be despising your dad? Because of the covenant, see? By your own words and by your own behavior, especially with the blasphemy is serious, you're bringing judgment upon you and through you upon your family. How do we know that? Jacob, when Simeon and Levi and their brothers went and did what they did to this people, what did Jacob say? Why have you brought dishonor upon my name? It wasn't, how could you have done this? You fools, you're on your own anyhow, you're 18 years old, I have nothing to do with it. No, I have everything to do with it, because I'm your father. You understand? Again, if you don't have that covenant really embedded in you, most of the time you read scripture and you miss the point, because it's covenant. It's co it, the whole of scripture is basically telling you, okay, this is what God wants you to do, here are the rules, and now let me show you what happens when they don't apply it. Here it is, that's it, that's all of scripture. I'm going to show you what happens to you when you don't follow God's plan. 
in, 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 in two words, that's the whole of Scripture. And I, I suppose we can add, and I'll, and I'll show you, this is actually the Old Testament, and I'll show you how God will respond in love. And then when you see this, you're odd. You're literally floored. Oh, this is for the gals. You ready for this one? Sirach 28, verse 13. Cursed be gossips and the double-tongued, for they destroy the peace of many. Cursed be gossip. What is it to gossip? Do you know? When are you gossiping? Let me tell you. It's very simple. The minute you are talking to person A about person B, and you're driven by curiosity, you're gossiping. That's it. It's that simple. The minute you say to person A, guess what person B did? They did this and that and the other and this and this and that. Can you pass me the salt? You're gossiping. All right. Why? I said out of curiosity. Because it's very different than when you're driven out of charity. When you're driven out of charity, you're going to someone and you say, did you know that person seeded this? I think you may want to talk to them about it. You say it, you forget about it, and you move on. That is not gossip. That is a brotherly or sisterly concern about someone else. And you're doing it for the greater glory of God and for the salvation of the soul. But if all you're doing is just saying it lightly and in passing because you want to share something, you have something to say, you're gossiping. Sirach 41, 7-9. Children curse their wicked father, for they suffer disgrace through him. Huh. Why do children curse their wicked father? Because they suffer disgrace through him. Why? Because of the covenant. Whatever he did that was wicked in God's eyes, that wickedness is falling upon them. You see, we live in this society, and the evil one knows exactly what to attack. He attacked the family. We are so far removed from the family that we don't understand it. Most of the stuff doesn't make sense to us because we don't understand what the family is. We don't understand what a real dad is and what a real mom is. The roles in the eyes of God. We've taken motherhood and flipped it upside down. It's the least important thing a woman can do these days. The most important thing is to be CIO or CTO or COO or CFO. To be a successful career woman is way more important than, than a mother. What does that mean? We're living outside the covenant. Don't get me wrong. I am not telling you that being a successful career woman is, is something wrong with that. Absolutely not. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But when we inverse the values, and we put fatherhood and motherhood on the lowest totem pole, and we put all the things we do as being more important, we're effectively living outside the covenant. When we live outside of the covenant, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that the covenant goes away. It'll never go away. We wish it would go away, because then we'll be free. It doesn't. What happens? The covenant curses are triggered. Okay? Why? Because they're medicinal. Their purpose is to bring us back. God wants our salvation. God loves us. How are they, how are they triggered? I'll tell you. It's very easy. I have seven kids, which... To people at my, in, my, in my job and other places, is a wonder. It's like I've done a miracle or something. All right? I am just doing what the majority of, the, of humanity did throughout the ages. I am doing nothing extraordinary. 
Really, I'm not. Okay? It's those who are not doing it that should question themselves. Is that what want? But what do they tell me? How did this curse manifest itself? They tell me, you must be busy. You must be busy. Busy. Always wonder about that. You must be busy. And then I observe them in their lives, and guess what? They don't have two minutes to themselves. They're so busy. They're frustrated. They're anxious. They're unhappy. That's how the curse manifests itself. They pursue their career so much that God curses the career such that it does never produce the joy and the happiness that they expected. They're never happy. They will never be happy. If they understand the covenant, if they understand how God works, they will never be happy. Unless, and now I'm going back to your question, God truly wants to show the wrath on them. And that's why I told you earlier, we misunderstand blessing. We think blessing is when I have everything I want. God, I want a Lamborghini and I want it blue. And please send it with me, you know, send a couple of computers with it. And I want a Nikon latest model. And I want to be healthy. And I want to, be, to look great. And I want my, my, uh, my wife to look great and healthy. And I want to be able to go on a cruise. And, and if God wants, if, if, if God wants to let his wrath upon me, he will give me all these things. You understand? He will let the kid play with the Lego. Why? Why is that the wrath of God? What would happen to the person who succeeds in their career, who are, whatever they touch, turn into gold? They live a perfect life. Everything is the way they want it to be. What happens to them? They're away from God. Where are they going? Hell. That's God's wrath. You see, many Protestants believe in the health and wealth Bible. They'll say, look at us in the United States. We're rich, we're powerful, we're educated, we have all the money, so God bless us. Look at those Catholics in, in Southern America. They're poor, they're wretched, they have nothing. So, of course, God's curse is on them. Actually, most of the time, it's the reverse. Because those who are poor really depend on God. Those who are poor are spared temptation of this world. Those who are poor have time to pray. Those who are poor know that they need God. It is the ones who have, you know, their cell phone and the pager and this and that and is busy with his friends and everything else that doesn't have time for God. Do you understand? Could be. Could be. Could be. We have to be careful. Right? You, you can't just make an absolute rule and say, if you're wealthy, you're cursed. If you're poor, you're blessed. doesn't work that way. It right? doesn't work that way. What I'm trying to tell you is that oftentimes we interpret the signs in reverse. God's blessing is to give us what we need. Right? That's his mercy. To give us what we need. God's judgment is to give us what we want. That's his wrath. To give us what we want. God's justice... It's to give us what we need when we ask for it. When we ask for it. Okay? In, in Wisdom, chapter 12, there's a very beautiful summary 
of how God works with us. It really explains it very well. It lays it out, and it helps us understand what, what he wants to do with us. Verse 12, for instance, David take on, uh, Solomon take on the issue that we're dealing with. How could you curse anybody? And this is how he answers. For who can say to you, what have you done? Or who can oppose your decree? Or when people perish, who can challenge you, their maker? Or who can come into your presence as vindicator of unjust men? Solomon has it right on. Number one, God is the creator with a creature. That fundamentally means he's in control. We're not. So whatever we want to think of what is just or unjust, whatever we want to, whatever our conception is of what is right or not, it is that of the creature. That of the creator is way above us. So our first, our giving due honor and glory to God is to recognize that. He knows better. Secondarily, who among us can say that he's just? We all are, we're all created under the curse of our original father. We all have original sin in us, which means we were under the devil's dominion. Who among us can go to God and say, hey, you owe me? Nobody. And the corollary to this is that when we were baptized, what did God do when we were baptized? He paid the ransom, right? He paid the ransom to free us from slavery. Correct? So when he paid the ransom to free us from slavery, it means that he owns us. We belong to him, right? So anytime you hear a woman say, I can have an abortion anytime I want, this is my body, I can do anything with it. If she's baptized, you ought to tell her, it's not your body. Christ paid for it. You can't say that. But if she's baptized, you can tell her, it's not your body, I'm sorry. It is. He paid for it. For neither is there any God besides you who have the care of all that you need show that you need show that you need to show you that sorry that you need show you have un, not unjustly condemned something is wrong in my in my copy nor can any king or prince conf, confront you on behalf of those you have punished but as you're just you govern all things justly you rewarded as unworthy you regarded as unworthy of your power to punish one who has incurred no blame for your might is the source of justice. Your mastery over all things makes you lenient to all. You're regarded as unworthy of your power to punish one who has incurred no blame. Since we are all incurred blame, and we do by our own sins, it is only right that God punishes us. It's only right. Okay? And remember, punishment is not what we think it is. It is not, oh, well, God is going to punish me and when I get sick. That might be his mercy, because he's allowing you to repent from your sin and to pay for them. Punishment may be, he lets you go. He lets you go. How do we know that? Mary. Here's one who was blameless, completely blameless. And she watched her son die on the cross. That wasn't the punishment. Okay? So, what I tried to do tonight is to help you see curses in their context. They're real, they're true, and they have power behind them, just as blessing has power. 
What that means really basically is that when God sets a covenant with us, which he did, he sets some rules. And those rules are not because he wants to control us. Those rules are for life everlasting. He knows what is really good for us. If we are mindful of this, then we must avail ourselves of the means that he gave us to live the covenant, which are the sacraments, the prayers of the church, the intercession of the faithful, the, the different um, uh, sacramentals, such as the medals. And Our Lady, when she appeared to, uh, to Catherine Labouré, had a medal struck. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. And she said, whoever prays this prayer will get what they want. And Mother Teresa used that all the time. Whenever she went in the place and she wanted a house, she saw, she saw a house. She said, okay, that's the house we want. But Mother, there are people living there. And besides, it's too expensive. We can't afford it. Oh, no, 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 we need this house. And she would just throw a miraculous medal. Guess what? She got what she asked for every single time. We must avail ourselves of all the riches that God put in our service to help us live the covenant. We have a lot to do in re-shifting our focus on the church, on, the, on fatherhood, on motherhood, on the family, and to live a covenantal life. And I do urge you to always, especially when you're parents, to, in your prayer, to bless your children. Bless them at home. Bless them before they go to bed. Bless your children. Use holy water if you don't have one. Bring holy water to your house. Bless your children. It has great power. Don't, don't play the, oh, I'm the modern guy, I don't believe in those things, type stuff. Bless your children with the power of God. And they will be blessed. Provided that you are living according to the covenant. All right? So examine yourself. Pray. Go to confession as much as you can. And as a result, your life will be in order. And you, just as Abraham blessed so many through, God blessed so many through Abraham, God will bless so many of your family and beyond your family through you. That's his plan. That's what he wants for us. And he can make it because he said he would. And he's God. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed this talk from Carbono. For more information about this and other talks, please visit our website at www.carbono.com. Thank you and God bless you.